When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. Big Tuesday show for you. Uh, one of the biggest questions that D'Anthony and I get on a day-to-day basis in the DMs and chats and emails and all the fun things is I want to write a book. I want to write and publish a book. How do I do this? Uh, today, we've got uh, one of the very best authors in the land. Scott Sigler is here. Uh, he will be answering all your questions, and uh, hopefully this is a guide for you. Just have this episode live <laughs> in, a, in a favorite or a bookmark or whatever it is. Yeah. Send this to friends and say, all right, here's how to write, publish, and, uh, and get a book out to the world with an agent, without an agent. We'll go over the pros and the cons of all of it. Uh, Scott's new book is out today. This is The Crypt uh, that is out today. Yes, you were number seven on Audible right, right now? Right now, number seven sci-fi on Audible, which is fantastic. It's and amazing. We were the number one new sci-fi. We were the number one military sci-fi release in Amazon and on Audible today too. So we're we're over the moon. It's gone very good. It's unbelievable, but I feel like you've always been like this throughout your entire career. Or was it when you switched to self publishing? Like, uh, what was the turning point? This for is you? A, we we came out of the gate pretty strong, and this is after you know twelve thirteen years after I decided I'm going to be this is what I'm going to do for a living. Period. And there was there was a lot long time in anonymity, submitting, doing things differently than you have to do them now finally got a deal due to podcasting my own books. So I was recording my own books, releasing them serialized audiobooks as a podcast way back in 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. Eventually got an audience there. And the when we put out an indie book called Ancestor, because of the podcast audience I had and asking these people to go buy it on the same day, we hit number one sci-fi, number one horror on Amazon. And this is before eBooks. So eBooks weren't, weren't even on the store yet. So it was a regular print book up against the no Daniel Kindle, Steels. no nothing, no Kindle, no nothing. It was a straight print book, uh, and that hitting high on that list then led to a deal with Random House. And Random House uh, had uh, two books. In Random House hit the New York Times list with them. But it's kind of been it's it's touch and go. You never know what you're going to get, and because if you are able to chart out of the gate, it impacts the algorithm mm-hmm. by which Amazon decides, I'm now going to show these people who've never heard of you, your book. So the goal, our competitive goal all the time is we want a couple of top tens, different, different genre lists, make sure we're up there because that also gives you marketing stuff. But you never know, you never know what's going to work or not. 
So you put a lot of time into it and you push it. And when it does work, you're very happy. And I'm very happy today. Yeah. Um, and so I'll talk uh, briefly about how I came to know of you uh, before actually meeting you in real life, which is a, a weird enough story on yep. its own. Um, but in the publishing circle, I kept hearing uh, about your name. We shared an agent mm -hmm. uh, in an agency back in the day. And I kept hearing about this guy who was disrupting the industry. He was self-publishing. He was doing everything on his own. And he was starting to make more money than what he was getting from his own publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, how is this guy doing it? And they told me the same thing that you just said, via podcast and, and everything else. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that's interesting. Uh, but I still want to have uh, an agent. I still mm -hmm. want to have a publisher. I want to be in Barnes & Noble. I want to do all that stuff. But once you do it, you realize you're not making as much money as you are self-publishing. Correct. And that is a hard thing for people to wrap their mind around. Right. Because everybody thinks, oh, my God, I'm going to write this amazing story. I'm going to give it to my agents. And then it's going to be in bookstores around the country. Well, here's the thing. If you don't have a huge social media following, let's say you do get into a bookstore, it mm -hmm. might just be one or two copies and it might just be for three or four weeks and then it's gone yeah. for good. <clears throat> yeah, we all see, we all know Jack Carr as like a legendary author and now a Hollywood screenwriter producer, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But his first book didn't do shit mm -hmm. until book two and or three. Actually, it was book three that really cranked off for him and then two and one and two hit the bestseller list as well, right? right. That is very frequently the case. Yeah. Whether you're publishing through a publisher or self-publishing, that, well, that, that's very that's, common. That's frequently the case for people who are A-list authors like Jack, but mm. that happening is rare as... Mm. It's a combination of how good his work is. Yeah. You can swear on this show. Oh, can you? You can yeah, and, say and then getting picked up by somebody later on. You get, right? it, it, there's so many things that have to happen. You have to get signed, first of all, mm -hmm. which takes forever. Then you have to get someone in a big publisher that really believes you and goes, goes to bat for you. Then your first book has to hit it out of the park because if it doesn't, usually they're like, okay, cool, we tried. And, the, and you keep increasing your sales. But for a story like Jack's, that's rare unto itself the level of success he's had. It absolutely does happen and happens a lot if you say look at the names in a bookstore, but you compare that to the number of people who are got who have book deals with publishers, it's infinitesimally small. Mm. It's really small. So <clears throat> you and even people who are as good as him sometimes don't get that success because all the other things that go into it. Is the publisher spending money to market you? Right. Bottom line. And that's something you never control ever. So when you can do things on your the own, it changes. The answer is no. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't. Like, they don't uh, get you on The Tonight Show. They don't get you no. on Good Morning America. All the fun things are going to get anymore. you in the meeting. Not anymore. Right. I mean, just like that old... Um that old CAA relationship mm -hmm. is just not a thing anymore. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? It just doesn't. I mean, for for better or worse, I guess. And I think it's because uh, the efficacy of that setup has been damaged so much by the direct to consumer social media model. Now it's like Tim Kennedy doesn't need, although he does have a contract with I think CAA. Yeah, uh, doesn't need it. You no, know, he certainly doesn't need. And they're not doing anything for him. Yeah, right. Yeah. He he's doing it because it takes work off his plate. Uh -huh. which makes sense. But if he wanted to take it internal and hire people to do that as direct employees for him, he would, that would be a lot the better. The numbers for be his honest. book wouldn't have changed. He still would yeah. have hit the New York times bestseller list and all that. Well, other you know, stuff. he got more sales from drinking bros than he did from Joe Rogan or any other show he did. Yep. 
He got more. He Way got more go, book guys. sales from us. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Though. Well, I mean, look, our people read. They're literate. They they, they read. Which and may, here's what that makes me think: we don't have enough Marines watching the show because <laughs> we haven't re- we haven't released any books in crayon yet off of the show. Not yet, but uh, but it's one of those things where if a guest lands with the audience mm-hmm. and the audience likes them, then they'll buy the shit mm-hmm. out of them. If they don't, they won't. But sure. uh, that happens with everything. Um, so w- what you were talking about is uh, initially earlier on. When you have a failure like that, mm-hmm. are you kind of in like a writer's jail there as far as uh, yeah, publishing goes? Yeah, I'll tell you briefly the story about, about me. I, I got a great deal from Random House. We got a three-book deal, which became a five-book deal. And the first three books were for a series called The Infected Trilogy, which is very gory and visceral. Was it's that about a, Magic Johnson? It was not. It was not. Shit. Uh, and and, and it's, some, it's some big boy gross horror, right? So it's pretty good. And then we put out book one and two. And due to... Uh, Random House efforts and primarily my efforts, having an audience I could motivate to go buy a book. We were, I think, 12 or 13 on the times list for Contagious, which is my second book of the Random House. Everything's going smokingly. Like at this point, we assume the third book, Ancestor, is going to be, uh, we're, we're going to crack the top 10. And then ev- the, everything opens up when you crack the top 10 on the New York Times list. Yep. Come to find out that uh, three weeks before the book came out, they informed me that the publicist working for Random House had been fired for doing nothing. And at this point, it was too late. If you don't have everything going in big publishing, three months out, getting all the reviews lined up mm-hmm. and everything. So if you, three weeks out, you're screwed. There's nothing you can do. Ancestor didn't chart. And right after that, Random House was like, great, we gave it a good shot. And your, your star has fallen. They go find somebody younger and prettier, et cetera. So that, that does, as, as soon as you fall off with big publishing, you can be kind of on the outs with him. You can be in publisher jail, like you mentioned. Yeah, you can, and uh, and this happened. Uh, this happens in movies as well with with screenwriters. So mm-hmm. uh, I told you this at a party, but I'll, I'll I'll remind you here. So I've had kind of two writing mentors. Now you didn't know you were mine. Now the other guy <laughs> did, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I came up to that party and I fanned out, and I was like, "Holy shit, so you're fun. not going to believe this." So fun. Um, but uh, my my screenwriting mentor is a guy named Scott Rosenberg. Uh, one of my favorites of all time, he's written, uh, I mean, he had a, a crazy, crazy amount of hits here. Um, just as a writer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off uh, some of these here. Uh, High Fidelity, mm. Gone in 60 Seconds, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, uh, The Rock, all that shit. And then, uh, boom, he does Kangaroo Jack. Uh, got, got a couple million dollars for that. And, okay. And uh, Kangaroo Jack... Was uh, was an embarrassment, and he got put in the screenwriter's jail after that yep. for a while. Mm-hmm. Had to go back to television. Now is back uh, doing huge movies again. Good. Wrote himself out of that, but uh, that's the same thing with publishing, where everything could be going great, and then you have a, a, a bad miss, and everybody's like, well, fuck that guy. Yeah. He doesn't have it anymore. He's over the hill, whatever you want to say about the person, and uh, and you never know. Now, with you... Like, this is 40. Y- yeah. For example, because <laughs> there wasn't another movie after that. For who? For what's his nuts? The guy, Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. Uh, he's had a different. He, he's a weird. Like, yeah, he's he's kind of switched over to pot. I don't know what his story is, to be honest with you, in real life. Um, but with you uh, personally, uh, writing wise, it was with an agency, and all I kept hearing about was <laughs> there's this guy who's disrupting it, and it's kind of tearing literary and publishing apart right now. Where this guy is self publishing, he's making a shit ton of money. Uh, every time I called. 
uh, Amazon and ACX, who does the Audible. Mm-hmm. It is an excerpt from your book. It was awesome. I didn't know that till today. While you're on hold, <laughs> please listen to this excerpt from Scott Sigler's new book. It's fabulous. And whatever it is, because yeah. you've got 900 books. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, shit, is this possible? I thought, all right, is this possible? Now, my first book was uh, Simon & Schuster. Second one, I was iffy. Uh, at that point, because the podcast was going well and all that other stuff. And I was like, man, do I self-publish this? And what's the difference in the money? And I'd heard about yours mm-hmm. versus what the publishing was. And then I put it out. And holy shit, it made a fuck ton of money. And it was because of you. Awesome. Um, awesome. So you bought me another house. And, hey, great. Uh, you didn't even know about it at the time, right? <laughs> well, you bought me a hard soda. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm oh, yeah. hard seltzer. Right, so we're even. We're even. We're not. We're not even close to being even. <laughs> But I, I kept hearing about you and everything else, and uh, and I followed your career in the back end of this, and you were so prolific in everything else you were doing and everything else. Uh, what I never got a chance to ask you uh, in real life, and I wanted to save until the show today, was what gave you the confidence to actually do self-publishing, live without an editor, do all the things, mm-hmm. put the book out on its own, because it, it is, it's more work. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, is a, it is a lot more work. Yeah. And then uh, everything else that comes along with it, what initially gave you that confidence to do it? Because this is what I want to tell everybody at home of like, you should be self-publishing on that first book. Yeah, well, and now that is absolutely the case. When Mm -hmm. I started out uh, 15 years ago, that was not the case. What gave me the confidence was I happened to be working for a company that did sort of these talk shows for Fortune 500 companies. So they would have like Larry Ellison from Sun come in and they would write this whole script for him and record it all. And then, you know, they had 20,000 employees at that time did mm-hmm. done. So that's like, that's a, that's a mid-sized city, a small city. Small city is going to have two newspapers, going to have two radio stations, three radio stations back then. So basically they, this company is called S&P Communications and they wanted to be that be that media conglomerate for Fortune 500 companies. So I'm the marketing guy there. I'm working there. And to make a long story short, uh, podcasting just gets rolling and they've got full recording studios. So and what year is this for you? This is going to be 2004. 2004, 2005. I did not know podcasts were a thing in 2004 and 2005. Po- podcasting just got started. Uh, Adam Curry, Dave Weiner. This is before they were even on iTunes. Mm. So things were going out, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at this. You had to go to somebody's website and download an MB3 half the time. It was, is that what it was? It was, yeah. very, it was yeah. really complicated. Or, or it okay. would have been like uh, one of those embedded MIDI players or something like that. And you just I don't think those are. I think it was. A, you had to know what an RSS feed was and yeah, be able to subscribe to it, yeah. which was well, some like program through, level through shit. like Winamp or one of those fucking. Yep, uh, yep that like, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, we, I'm there and I'm trying to convince the company. I'm like, podcasting is going to be a monstrous deal because the parallels to the transistor radio, which I'll get into later if you want to hear it, but they're very, very similar. And transistor radio completely changed the entertainment media landscape forever. Mm-hmm. That's why we have FM as the dominant format right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you guys, this is the same stuff. You can hold this in your hand. You can listen to content. You no. can't get anywhere else. Talk radio is the biggest format. You do talk radio. This is going to be huge. And then the format itself lends itself to the, that style of what, so even yeah. you, you were talking earlier on the other show about serializing your books into a podcast, right? Which he did this year. I did. Yeah. Right? We yep. just got paid for that. But that's this year, how, yeah. that, that's how, uh, uh, novel style works in digital format first began. C.S. Lewis, Lou the Moore, they would it. put out one chapter a week on the fucking radio. War right? of the Worlds. And in the 1920s and 30s, yep. War of the Worlds, Jules Verne was another one. Like yeah. th- this, it's one of the first direct to consumer 
digital media novels that ever existed, right? That's what I was trying to tell this company back Mm. then. I'm like, look at what radio was in the 30s and 40s, that serialized drama. Mm -hmm. You get one episode of The Lone Ranger a week. It's it's a monstrous, like it was such a huge cultural phenomenon. We can barely compare it to what it is now, right? Yeah. So I'm like, this is gonna be great. And they were like, well, that's just a distribution method. We're gonna keep doing what we're doing. They They were mailing physical cassettes at the time to huge amounts of people. I'm like, cool. And then I decide... I've been trying to get published for, at this point, I'm going to guess 10 years, mm-hmm. going to all the conventions, mm-hmm. meeting agents, meeting publishers, getting just a giant stack of rejection letters. So I'm going to start putting this out as a podcast myself. So I would go into the office at three o'clock in the morning and when no one was there and I would use their fancy recording equipment, record everything, learn how to record, learn how to edit, mm-hmm. learn how to put things on RSS, start putting out my book. First book was called Earth Core, which I later put out. We put that out again in 2017 and then put out Ancestor and I started to build up a huge following. So this is when Lost and 24 were just crushing it, mm-hmm. right? So people were getting used to the idea of long form serialized mm-hmm. content as opposed to <clears throat> everybody's happy at the end of the, this ain't the Cosby show, right? Like yeah. it's not everybody happy at the end. So that I hit at the right time, built up a huge following using that following people who have social media presence using that following to say, go buy ancestor on this day. And they did. And then it, it was able to chart and that changed everything after it charted. Now at that point, are you controlling your own destiny then and saying, all right, I have all this power because I have this, mm. this following and everything else. Uh, you're either going to do X for me or I'm going to do it on my own. Well, this is to go back. I remember your question now, sorry, is uh, where to get the confidence. I was just a little ball of hate. I was so mad. I couldn't get published. And I kept having editors tell me, oh, this is really good. We don't know what shelf to put it on. Are you military? Are you sci-fi? Are you thriller? Are you horror? Cause that's, I work in all those genres. Mm-hmm. So I was just super pissed off. I'm like, I am telling you, if you put this in front of people, they're going to like it, you know, trust me. And so I started putting out my own stuff. And even after I started to get, that was where the confidence came from, was people starting to listen, people starting to share the links and using the marketing wherewithal to say like, like you ask for reviews all the time. Yep. I'm like, hey man, share this with someone you know, knowing that if, if, he, if he likes my work and he's friends with you, he'll probably send it to you, you'll probably like my work too. Birds of a feather flock together. Mm-hmm. So it was really just trying, <clears throat> it was trying to get to the point back then where I could show New York Publishing, like I have 20,000 people listening to me every Sunday. You have no one doing anything like this outside of like Stephen King. Yeah. So buy my book and pay me. And they, they didn't know what podcast, they didn't get any of it. But the confidence really was coming in on like, I can, I can move a segment of the marketplace to do a thing at a particular time and I can control where this goes. And then that just, I kept not getting signed until we put out Ancestor in print. And then, uh, like I mentioned before, was able to get all my fans to go buy it in the same day, April 1st, 2007. Mm-hmm. And they all went out in 2005. They went and bought that crap. And it charted high on Amazon. And the New York publishers were like, who, who the hell is this? Because that was number one <clears throat> in horror sci-fi and number two overall on Amazon buying a Harry Potter novel. So it was wow. very disruptive. And then that led to the deal with Random House. So the confidence largely came from, I can't get what I want. I can't get people to listen. I'm going to find a way to make people listen to me. And that's where I got into it. You still have that ball of hate, by the way, it seems totally. like. All the time. I've, I've had I it my entire it in life. I your voice and it just, <laughs> I can tell you're a guy in traffic. Like you should be riding shotgun with Dan on some of these uh, yeah, drives. I, 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 Dan, I'm sure Dan you guys a lot like me. equal yeah, hatred for, for everybody uh, all day long. But you need that. You still need the chip on your shoulder. Because after this many books, yeah. if you don't have it, then you kind of lose it and everything else. Um, 
what year and when did you walk away from uh, like a publishing deal and say, I'm going to do this on my own? Well, we, 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 my, my business partner and I have been doing the Galactic Football League series on our own for a while. That's what these shirts are right here. And it's people love it, but it's, it's a kind of a, a niche audience. And then, so we then did one more deal with Del Rey, who was wonderful to work with. And that was about 2014 to 2017, put out <clears> a thing called the Generations Trilogy. And uh, we were fortunately able to uh, keep the audiobook rights because that was before anybody knew audiobook rights were gold. How did you know that? Uh, We just, because that, that my business is audio, frankly. And they, we, my agent went out, same agent, Mm -hmm. went out and said, Scott wants this. They said, we won't give that. And I said, okay, well, you know what? If we can just keep the audiobook rights, then they can have any deal they want. Because I give a fuck about, I didn't care about eBooks. I didn't care about print books. And they were like largely okay with that. And they said, great. So have the book. So we took the audiobook rights. That that series ran its course, and uh, Delray did a really good job with uh, marketing the Kindle and the in the print book. But after that, we just <clears> were looking at we were just looking at the numbers. We're yeah. like, there's so much. It was two things. There's so much work that goes into working with a publisher in order to get this stuff done, and you make pennies on the dollar for the things that the publisher controls. Mm-hmm. The other part of it was the frustration in marketing. Because I would go like, I, I know marketing, I have an audience, mm-hmm. I have a budget, I can do an enormous amount of stuff to help put this book on the list. And they would say, we've got these things covered. And like, you know, six out of the 10 things they said were covered, they would cover. And the other four, they just, they wouldn't tell you what was going on. So they wouldn't share their marketing plan. They wouldn't share their marketing budget. And then- Which is like unacceptable in an age when, uh, when like you as the producer, the content also have an audience. Yes. You can't have, there, there's a number of different reasons why you wouldn't want that. But one is like, well, one of the main ones is uh, 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 duplication of effort. You guys are both doing the exact same thing, which means somebody's missing something somewhere else, right? Yeah. Like it's the same thing we do in the intelligence community. <clears throat> I link up with other people from other agencies to make sure that they're not working on the exact same thing I am. Mm-hmm. Because if they are, then like, okay, you do that. I'm going to fucking come over here and we'll compare notes later or something like that. But if you have two parallel marketing organizations doing the exact same thing, one, you're fucking you're cannibalizing each other's business for some to some degree, which means both of you look at your marketing campaigns and think you're not doing well. Mm-hmm. When both of you are just splitting the well you're doing, it doesn't make any sense, right? And then the the other, again, second order effect of that is that somebody's missing something somewhere. You're not covering as much ground. Yep. yep. And imagine in your, in your line of work, if somebody mm. says, I'm going to do this, mm. and you're like, great, you got this, and then they just don't do it. Which is why you shouldn't deal with publishers, to be honest, because they don't do shit anymore. They don't do anything anymore. Right? Uh, but, yeah, I, mean, I mean, back then it was different. Has, yeah. I mean, has a publisher recently gotten you on you know, the thing you wanted to be on, Howard Stern or not, fucking Rogan no. or, you know? Not at all. We got, you know, we, got, we were on Rogan twice, and that was back in the day, and that was, you know, that was all because of, uh, his booking guy was a fan of my work and was able to get in there. No like, shit. No shit. And uh, he got me on the show twice, and I was already a huge fan, you know, back in the talk radio days and all that stuff. Um, was the bump as big as it is today? No. God, okay. no. God, no. You, you get on that show now with a book. And you're gonna just clean up, right? It's, it's nuts, right? What year were you on Rogan? Gosh, I, I don't know. Have a uh, uh, if you can look that up for me. It was a while ago, though. It was a while ago, and it was it was really fun. Um, well, people don't realize he's been podcasting so I think, a long uh, I think time. since like 2009. Yeah. Episode I got you 2021, two, 336. Thank you, sir. Wow. Episode 437. These, as that's well. when they were uploaded to YouTube, though. I mean, three episode 336 is like yeah. back oh, in like 2015. Right. So, he was already he was a, he was a budding juggernaut at that point, but it right. hadn't, it hadn't hit the breakthrough. 
That, but uh, tw- yeah, 2014. That's the last time you were on. Yeah. I think 13 is the first time you were on. 2013, yeah. So yeah. January 8th, 2014 it was, was 437. super cool. It was super cool. And they, they're <clears throat> really good at what they do. It's very similar to this uh, operation. You guys really know what the fuck you're doing. Oh, thank you. And, um, but, but that was us. New York Times was us. I got in the New York Times for podcasting on the, on, on the front page of the book section back in, uh, I think it was 2006. And this is right. So all of that. I was doing all of that work. It wasn't like they were doing nothing, but this, the thing that, to answer your question, the thing that turned us off was, I'm like, I, am an ex- I, have, I do marketing. I've been doing this for years. Can you guys just tell me what you were doing? And then I will stop gap what's going on. And what I got frustrated with is they wouldn't tell you what they are doing. Because they're gatekeepers. Like they're, they're, they're gatekeepers. Their, their value is that connection and that that let's call it a template for their marketing plan that's their value yeah and they're not going to give it up right which is that that is the sign it's what we were talking about with the auto workers the other day it's not just about that but this is creative destruction when a new modality right for marketing happens people these old school agents writers actors all this this, any kind of entertainment stuff right publicists the same way they they're power starts to wither and they try to grab onto it in ways that holds the industry back instead of pivoting into whatever the new thing yeah. is. It always happens like that. And they don't care if you fail as long as, as, long as the they hold their institutional power. Right, that have the power yeah. on this. It fucking sucks, dude. Like they, they have the talent, obviously, to be in this business. Yeah. You just got to figure out how to, how to work now with a guy who can also do the same thing you're doing. That was the biggest you, thing. You amplify him. You don't fucking hold him back. It doesn't make any sense to do that. That was, I mean? that was the biggest thing. Like, I understand that most of your authors don't have the background and skill set that I have. They don't have this podcasting audience. Cool. Handle them how you want to handle them. But when someone's coming to every meeting, like, show me the numbers. What are you doing? Where are you doing it? How much are you spending? How can I help in all these categories? And you get crickets from that. It was, uh, I wouldn't call it disrespectful. It was just more like, you guys are missing out on an addition to your team that can help elevate everyone. Yeah, we need to send them to the Q course, right? Special Forces Q course. They teach you how to take somebody that is uh, uh, like a local local national, right? Like an indigenous force, Mm -hmm. and then turn them into a force multiplier for you, right? That, that, that is, that is, that's that, the best I've ever heard anyone describe yeah, it. It, ever. it works so well in, in marketing. That's why like influencer marketing, what it is today is what this should have been back in like the early two thousands. As soon as the internet started to get popular in a way that people are actually sharing information on, on a regular basis, not just getting information from CNN or wherever the fuck it was, yeah. but then disseminating it out to their groups. Now you have a focal point, a human being who, and think of it in terms of uh, virology, right? So uh, for f- the flu, it's one-to-one. One person gets the flu, they usually give it to one additional person. With COVID, it was two. One person gets it, two additional people get it. Now with the internet, it's one person gets it, and the span is about seven, mm-hmm. right? So you have something more viral than the, the worst viruses we've ever seen on Earth, and it's free, yeah. All you got to do is fucking hand it Free to them. Free in the speed of light. Right yeah. There, right All up. you have yeah. to do is hand it to them, and they become an immediate force multiplier without any real training or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't make sense that we didn't start activating on this shit 20 years ago. No. But it's happened now. So so marketing sucks at publishers. <clears throat> I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, correct. Uh, secondly, uh, story. Was there any pushback because you were writing gory shit of, hey, you got to take this out, this out, this out? Because uh, I've gotten pushback on a little, that. A little bit. Uh, yeah. I, well, I... Your, I yours is... I didn't, I didn't handle it well, did you? Well, I, I... Yours is gory in a different way. There's a lot of semen involved in your gory. <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. Because I, like, uh, like take Matt's book was, uh, was super gory. And they were like, hey, you got to take out these elements of, of yeah, X. I'm more like Matt's it, book. Yeah. Well, it was military, right? Yeah. So 
It was a different thing. Uh, also, the Me Too movement had happened, and it went to the DOD, the Department of Defense, and they sat on it for 18 months. 18 months during the middle of the Me Too movement, they came out of that, and they said, you can't be talking about fucking girls like this X, Y, and Z. And it was mm-hmm. like, well, this was somebody's real life that this actually happened in. Yeah, we can. And you know, if you want Alyssa Milano to write the foreword, and I think that's when Bird stepped in and was like, you can't talk to a publisher like that. And I was like... Yeah. Well, I can, and I don't really fucking care at this point. Um, yeah, like we had at this at the time. This is at mid peak Black Rifle, where Matt, Jared, and then the company. Uh, we had some collective of like five million people that we could speak to on a regular and basis. And the movie had come out was number like, one. We don't in the need world. you to yeah. do any of this you shit. Don't need anybody? We're for doing that. it yeah. because we want to do the New York Times bestseller list and all that. Blah blah blah. And it's a fun story for it's the a fun show, story, but yeah. otherwise we can do this by ourselves. Frankly, yes. you know what I mean. Um, so there's that part of it too. Did that happen to you at all? Only a little bit with some some really uh, re- really gory stuff in the book. Uh, my my editor's name was Julian Pavia, and I had him for all five books at Random House, and he's fucking awesome. He's great at what he does. He made my work much better. Love the guy, but he did come back, and we did have several of those arguments. Where he's like, "This has got to go." I'm like, "That's not gonna. That's not gonna go." And it wound up being uh, probably sixty forty split. I won forty percent trying to listen to the guy who's already in the business, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any political uh, political hot you know, political issues where they had to look at that stuff. It was just like, is this too gory to put into a book? So yeah, we did have that. And uh, we just try, I just tried to use common sense for that stuff. Gotcha. Try to listen to my guy. What do you think? And then some of it, I actually absolutely put my foot down. Like that's got to go in there, period. Because so. there's a lot of people out there and a lot of writers and, uh, or people who are writing books. And they always ask me the same thing of like, you know, the ones who are with a publisher who are lucky enough to be with a publisher. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm getting these notes on this book or whatever. I'm saying fuck this to every single note. And I was like, well, you can't say fuck that on every single note. Correct. You got to, there has to be some form of split. My, I've always been in well, the Well, in camp. books like two through whatever, right? If you're an author, books two through infinity, it's like you add a bunch of shit in that you know they're going to pull out. Right. right? And, and then, <laughs> then you, you can go, negotiate because they get, they start to feel bad. Like, well, we can't pull out everything. Goddamn. And if you go hard initially and fuck you, yeah. then they yeah. kind of back off because they're, they're pussies in publishing. Yep. And so then the notes get lighter and lighter. So if you establish the dominance <laughs> up front, yeah. they're going to give you less pushback for the rest and, of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's part of it as well. And part, part, part of that is sales. And part of it is what you bring. Like you, you know, the numbers mm. you guys are talking about, you can say, no, we're going to do that. No, we're going to do that. Like it, it, you have the power to do that because your, your, your fuck you money is so big. You can, well, we can do this on our own. We don't need you. Then they get to make a real, real business decision, whether it's worth it to them or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then we'll get to, uh, uh, the publishing of the book itself. Okay. Uh, the covers. Yeah. Okay. Everybody asks. They've got their own image of what the coverage should be and everything else. Mm-hmm. Who gets to pick this? Uh, I got to pick that. Okay. But at that point, you know, we're working with a, a new company called Athon, and they are just a super hungry bunch of young guys who really understand the math and the algorithms. They understand where publishing is at right now, and they are just eating New York's lunch. These guys are just killing it. They're Madison gri- Avenue is dead. Yeah, the they, Madison is dead. Publishing, by and large, it's getting dead. close. It's getting, yeah. it's getting close. close. Yeah. I mean, because you're seeing all these like Jocko Publishing, Daily Wire Publishing, like these independent companies. The are independent now standing companies. Up. Yep. And, and, to, and, and I, well, they move, they move faster. The independent, yeah. they, they move faster. They analyze data quicker. They don't have an approval tree to go through. Like mm-hmm. there's three main guys at Athon and yeah. they're like, let's do this. Screw it. Let's, let's throw some money. At, let's try that. There's they also less middlemen uh, on the production side. When I say production, I mean making the book, the physical book itself. There's less Correct. middlemen there, which means if I go to a public, if I go to Simon and Schuster, right? 
it's going to cost me three times less to go to someplace like Scribe or Jocko to get my book, my soft cover published. Mm-hmm. Three times less, which means I'm th- making three times more money on those sales. That's well, what it means practically. Right? And then the publishers on the back end of this will beef up those numbers oh, yeah. and the budget and lie about how much it costs you have no to get idea. a book. Oh, I, yeah. I definitely no do. Because it happens in no, the, I mean, in what the, the movie what business. They, what they tell you, you have no idea if what they're telling you is accurate or not. you oh, got yeah. nothing. No. Yeah. And well, so here, you get the residuals. Here's right? what I do know. So Goggins went with a major publisher on his first one, and he made $3 million mm-hmm. right, on his first one. On, his second, on his second book, he published through one of these small independent places that we know, mm-hmm. and he made $30 million. Jesus Christ. Yep. Oh. It's insane. It's a, first of all, three million dollars for the first book. Awesome payday. That's amazing. Well, yeah. no, but he had but, a massive Rogan. social. He, Rogan, Rogan, and he had a massive yeah. social media presence of his own already at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but that, even, that Rogan episode really fucking cranked. Oh, yeah. That's why I heard about it. Same here. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. who Goggins was. Well, I mean, he did because he was in the military, but yeah. um, I, I did not until that happened. And then Housewives. I'll never forget. We were in North Carolina. Uh, Housewives were saying, "Do you read the David Goggins book? Like he'd be great <laughs> on your show." And I was like. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it'd no, be awesome. No, 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 no. Well, Dan has his own fond memories of him, so yeah, it's a no-go, anyways. But um, uh, with that, uh, what's the difference percentage-wise from what those guys are taking versus what a major publisher would well, take? The basic breakdown: the last time I did a major deal was it's eight, ten, twelve. So, and that's usually uh, for the first five thousand books, you get eight mm-hmm. percent of the sale price, and then you get 10% for the next 5,000. Then you get up, once you get up 12%, it stays at 12% all the way through. And there are, you know, the pimps of the industry, like the Stephen Kings and Dan Steeles and those people, uh, they can get a much, a, a significantly higher percentage, but it's still not anywhere near 30, 40, 50. Whereas mm-hmm. we do this on our own, uh, our primary business is audiobooks. Yep. And right now, uh, Amazon Exchange, ACX.com, that a contract with them is 40%. So you're making 40% off whatever the sale price is right out of the gate, which is you know a multiplier of three or four over what a big publisher would pay you. Phenomenal. So that's if you anything people could do now where they're looking at uh, 40% on audiobooks because that's the industry standard. That's what mm-hmm. you're going to see when you go in there. Uh, Audible's not going to negotiate with you, period, unless you're yeah. of you guys' caliber. But, but you can even, get that market. Even then. Even then. Yeah. They, they yeah. told me, they were like, hey, dude, we'll give you our max, but they, like, they, it's they, not. They, they will give you help on production. Not that we need it because we can just do it right here. Correct. Yeah. But they will give you help on production. But as far as, it's the same with selling shit on Amazon's portal. It's 30% off the top, no matter yep. what. Not yeah. only the fuck who you are, you're paying us 30%. Exactly. And you got to be there. And but uh, but I, they did give me, and, and Spotify has given this for podcasts and, and all sweet. that stuff, where we, they, there is a- Placement helps. There is like a you person be, you that being will on talk that to us. That, wait, that call waiting line or yeah, whatever, you huge. being on that or whatever. Yeah. That, all that stuff, placement, SEO, it all helps, right? So there's, sure there, there are ancillary benefits if you're bigger. Yeah. They're, they're, don't get me wrong. If you, if you <clears throat> can get a big publisher interested and a big publisher wants to sign you and you just want to write, mm. oh, that's the way to go. That's a rare, you're a rare bird, but if you get landed by a big publisher and you just want to write, write as much as you can and work with them as closely as you can because they can turn on the fire hose of money for marketing and distribution. They can do a bunch of shit that even you, that even you guys can't do. And mm-hmm. you guys are at a huge level. Sure. So it's a good deal. But if you, if you like want to control it, it, the biggest thing is like after three books, if you still want to have a career as a writer, you need to take control of all that stuff. I yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially the, like keeping the, uh, the, Book, audio, and and TV slash film rights separate, right? Yep. So you can sell them, so you can parcel them out individually. Because if you just own the rights to the audio, and th- so you do a book through a publisher, but you retain the audio rights like you did, 
you can just make an MP3, upload it directly onto Audible's platform, yeah. and that money goes into your bank account every month. Now, I will say now this has changed dramatically. We <clears> were probably the last burglars in the house to steal those rights away. Now they, <laughs> they see- They do want it, yeah. They, yeah. they, they won't make a deal without- His agent asking for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah His agent on the last one, asking like, hey, I'll, that's 10% for the big guy. He's yeah. like, no, you didn't do shit. <laughs> on podcasts, yeah, they wanted we recorded 10%. That they want 10% of the, of the podcast? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's like, crazy. Fuck you. That's like, crazy. No, 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 sir. no. Yeah. yeah, you didn't yeah. do anything. So it's a, and then on I believe kdp.com, which is the Kindle, you can upload your own books mm -hmm. to Kindle. I think that's still 70-30. And I think it's uh 30% of you sell it for three dollars or less, and after that, that then you get thirty percent. If you sell it for more, you get seventy percent. That's the last time I checked. And now they're doing hardbacks as well. Over yeah, there. this is this is where you and went. This is brand new. This is relatively new, yep. but you talk about uh when you talk about production costs, now a a author who wants to control their own product. You can put it up because your money is in Kindle and your money is in audiobooks. Mm. But you can have print on demand, paperback, paperback and, and now hardback. hardcover, Obviously. and even hardcover with dust jackets. Like it's really, getting, it's yeah, getting super, super nice. Tight. Yep, super nice, brand new. And for us, because it's got to be a hardcover to make the Times, right? I mean. T Times is still a black magic, yeah. and you making the Times is an indie person. I mean, it's a curated list. It's a very yes. curated list. Yeah. So that's one thing. But one thing publishing can do is get you, hopefully, get you on the Times list, get in the ballpark. But what I'm, what I believe now is, it doesn't matter anymore. It's the same reason I don't go for awards or anything like that. None of it matters. What matters is the people you sell to, mm -hmm. and how closely aligned are they with, say, for example, a Stephen King, mm. so that other Stephen King fans are going to see your work put in front of them right. on Audible <laughs> and on Amazon. That's all that matters anymore, and is the, that. The, and the, there's two sets of authors, in my opinion, that are out there. Those who were want to be the, on the New York Times bestseller list, and yep. it is awesome. It is a, a very cool thing to say and do and be a Wonderful. part of and all this stuff. It yep. is. But once you do it once, what's the reason of going back? Or are you, are you an author? to make money in writing and that is when you should self-publish in my opinion yep. because with this book it already says at the top it already says new york times bestseller can't beat that scott sigler the crypt it is out now this is hardback this is all the things you want as an author right. you also want to get paid for your work self-publishing is where you're going to make the most money out of that so um that well, the, way I, the way i look at this is trying to tell everybody if the second you if you want to write a book you want to get the best book in the world and you, uh, you have your artistic vision, that's fantastic. Create any book you want. The second you want to take a dollar for that work, you are now a small business person. And people have to look at it that way. Like you, uh, you, There's no such thing as an artist making art. If you want to make your living off of that, you are, in the, you are in the business of making a widget and selling a widget to people who want to buy that widget and be happy with that widget. Mm -hmm. That's why this, you know, this, this self-publishing, I've said this for... I still believe this after like 10 years now, like this is the <clears throat> single best time in the history of mankind to be a creator. Mm -hmm. There's never been a world like this where you can make anything you want. You can get it into a global marketplace for almost nothing or nothing and have access to millions or billions of people who might like the thing that you make. That is the world we live in now. And it's, it's spectacular. It takes a ton of work, but it's great. Now you said this is the second best time. What was the first? Uh, this, I, I I've been saying that for about 10 years now, mm -hmm. and I thought it would go away, but it hasn't gone away. What's so, the creator economy? The, the cr current creator economy. Mm -hmm. Even even when the bigs like Amazon and Audible are starting to bring down the margins, there's still the opportunity for people to make a living doing mm -hmm. what they want to do in the world of creativity, in the world of arts. It's, this is You go back 20 years, at previous 20 years, this has never existed ever, ever, ever. How ever. do you, uh, may, there may, sh maybe for society's sake, there should be a higher barrier to entry frankly because now a lot of jobs that need to get done aren't 
You know, for, but from the creative side, mm. uh, what I've learned about that is I've read <clears throat> a lot of books, a, a few in the big publishing houses and a lot of the independent publishing mm. stuff where I look at this like, there's no way this will make money. This yeah. is terrible. It's full of errors. There's plot holes. This is a, just a bad, the cover's terrible. It's a bad product. And that shit will sell 500,000 copies. Because yeah. it doesn't worth. matter like what I think. the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is, will people yeah, yeah. pay that money be happy and mm. buy your stuff? Uh, go ahead, Bob. Um, Barstool Sports completely exploded and became popular with the worst writing on earth. Yeah, the worst uh, yeah. writing, and then the the way their social media exploded is just by sharing other people's content. They were they were basically like a fucking funny video aggregator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 like yeah. puberty or something. Yeah, or, like, or like Fat Jew. But it's, or... it made sense. Yeah, but it their, did. Their blogs were like, I mean. <clears throat> Well, you and you were always wrong. Two and two and two, always wrong. Yeah. Like it's, it was fucking. I mean, kindergarten mistake. I have a, I have a theory on that, Bob, because I, I just read an article of Barstool's uh, the night before last. Right? Do you think they keep it at a childish level like that because that's the audience and that's what they came for? So there's no reason to rise above it because that's that's exactly where you live. But no, that's just like literate. No, it's, I think they're just dumb. They're just okay. neat, like. Meatballs, yeah. And you know don't... what? But that—that's kind of what I'm saying. You—you you call them meatballs. You say it's illiterate. What's whatever? Look at the number of people consuming their content, and the—the end—the end arbiter of whether something is good or not is will people pay money for it? Yeah, and, and what they did—they <clears throat> didn't. The people just—they care about the takes, or they care about the fucked up shit they say. They don't care if they get the grammar right or correct, anything. right? Mm-hmm. And, correct. And, and it's just about gassing out as much content as you possibly can. Um, and at this point, because you know. Writers don't get paid that much anyways, mm. and AI is, will probably AI take over most of these for news sure. articles for sure. uh, going forward. Already are in the financial area. It's already right. AI shit. Oh, it, uh, all the financial shit is AI, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, don't realize it. But, uh, but with that, if you can create a niche, exploit that niche, it's not about, <laughs> in my opinion, going out to the broadest audience possible no, and pleasing everybody. It's just about creating a niche that people can get behind, right. and then you're servicing that niche which is what I feel that you've been an expert at for years and years and years mm-hmm. that nobody else is really doing. Um, so let's go back to the writing element of this. Okay. Uh, when you start to write, uh, and this is for everybody out here because I, I get this all the time, what is your page count per day? Do you have one? And how many days a, a week are you writing? Uh, at this point, and this is me on, this is me taking the foot off the gas because mm-hmm. my wife is fantastic and I want to spend more time. Uh, it's th- at this point, it's 2,000 words a day. Monday through Friday. And then you've got the weekend for the overage. If you didn't make your numbers, you can come in the weekend. And you, can, you can patch that up. So that is uh, eight pages a day. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and, and, and that is what currently will, will keep us in, in champagne and Bud Light for the rest of our lives. Right? We'll, we'll be fine if we can do that. Back in the day, the, the iteration before that was 3,000 words a day, again, five days a week. So you're cranking out, and we're talking about 15,000 words a week. You're going to get to novels pretty quick. But that was a huge amount of my time. I'm ADD to the gills, and getting through 2,000 words a day for me is like, it's constant, constant battle. It's very tough. Sure. Very tough. So 3,000. And then before that, it was just insane numbers. It was like, just write, write, write all the time. Don't have a life. That's all that you do. So I would say, the thing is, but remember, I want to remember, I do this full time. Yep. I, I'm, I have no worries about bills at this point, right? So I can, t- I can do 2,000 words a day. Coast, it's easy. If you got kids, if you got you working two jobs, kids, bills, everything else. What would you say is a great page count per day for somebody like that? Starting out right now, kids, bills, one page a day, two hundred fifty words a day, average one thousand two hundred fifty words a week. 
Okay. Just to get because you got to set you got to set the bar you got to set the bar at an achievable level, and if you blow that <clears> out of the water, that's fantastic. But if you don't blow that out of the water, that's still you're going to write a novel in a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is gold. If you've got three kids and you're trying to do shit and you write a novel in a year. You are a genius. You're an amazing, hardworking individual. So it's an achievable goal. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, and by the way, our page counts match up very similar. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Uh, almost to the to a T there. Uh, now let's get into editor. Now I know you've had the, the same editor and that helps. Right. Uh, I had a great one who was a fantastic writer, Nils Parker, on, uh, on Matt's book. It is an amazing help when you have it. Now, yep. when you're self-publishing... Uh, do you pay for that editor out of pockets? Yeah. Okay, you do. We actually pay for three. We've got a continuity editor who reads through everything because mm. all my stuff is in a continuum. <clears throat> so you can read my books set in, say, you know, 2020 book like Mount Fitzroy. And the stuff in that is in the continuum with the, uh, the Galactic Football League who's in the future. They're not the same series, yeah. but they're in the same continuum. Yeah. I don't have a mind to track that shit, frankly. It's my yeah. own stuff and I can't track it. But my, my boy, John Viscara, he, he tracks everything. He's, we call him the rain man in my He's universe. autistic for sure. He's a, and if know. you read a series, like a series or a parallel series is a better example probably. Like you're talking about in the same continuum or the same universe, mm-hmm. whatever, however you want to refer to that. When you, you might read the same identical paragraph to describe a character or a place more than one time, right? Because that guy, whoever yep. your fucking autistic guy is, tracks on that and he just goes back in the old book and the old manuscript, copies and pastes it right into the new one, right? Like even, even with some of the serialized spy stuff I read, like the Mitch Rapp series, for example, mm-hmm. or Greg Hurwitz, The Nowhere Man, they mm-hmm. do that shit all the time. You'll read the exact, like this, this character, this dude that fucking it shows up from time to time in the show or, or I'm sorry in the series you'll hear a literal like I'm, I'm, I mean literally the identical description of that guy in every single time and I don't know <clears throat> I always wondered how you did that I didn't know that it was a completely separate editor for that Scott you got a podcast you know we got some sponsors that put this shit wagon on the air first and foremost ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros Here we go, kids. This is the mattress we've all been waiting for. You can now pre-order the massage mattress. Let's go, fam. God damn, I'm excited about this. I've always wanted something like this, and it never existed. Usually, you had to go to a shitty old broke-down motel and pop a quarter in the side of the bed. Yes, that still exists, by the way. Or you can just order one straight to your house and not worry about getting AIDS. The pre-order is available. The massage mattress is out there. I have not checked the promo codes yet, so please do when you go to ghostbed.com forward slash trinket bros. In the meantime, you can get a mattress and an adjustable base combined together for 40% off if they let you do that one. Holy shit. It's fucking Harlem world out there, dude, for Ghostbed. Big boy moves, dude. Uh, that adjustable base, uh, the most popular version is the Split King that comes with two remote controls instead of one. That way you control your own destiny. So if your lava goes to sleep before or after you, you can hop on in there and do whatever the fuck you want. It's up to you. Now, if you already have an adjustable base and you're saying, Ross, I just need a mattress or some pillows or some sheets, maybe a mattress for my RV because I'm taking a, the fam out on a trip this fall. Well, congratulations. You can get 30% off with the promo code Drinking Bros at checkout. Now, when you check out, you're going to see a three-year pay-as-you-go program. No interest as long as you have decent credit over there. When you check that box, guess what, kids? All the deals that I mentioned are applicable with that. You can stretch out those payments over three years. 
uh, and still maintain all of the deals. Maybe today's the day you get a new brand new bedroom set from ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Next up, we got firstform.com slash drinking bros. Best in the biz, the micro factors. Uh, micro factors is what everybody should have next to their desk and their computer. Uh, the same as me here. It is a friendly little reminder to take your vitamins, kids. No more fucking jars of shit from GNC and bottles and trying to time up this with that and what should go together and how many and what time of day and all that stuff. You don't need it anymore. It's a tasty, tiny little pouch, dude. It just pops out, uh, and it's got all the essentials in it. Antioxidants, EFAs. Uh, the CoQ10s, the fruits and veggies, the probiotics, the multivitamins, all in one neat little package. You pop it all in your mouth, and it does the work for you. I'm dumb. I need my life simplified. Uh, big fan of the microfactors at firstform.com slash drinking bros. Also a big fan of their energy drinks. Uh, their protein sticks are amazing. And just peruse their entire catalog. They get everything you need. All of the shit is way better than fucking GNC. I can promise you that. Head on over to firstform.com slash drinking bros today. Get those micro factors, dog. And uh, just know this. You're getting free shipping on orders over $75. Go to firstform.com forward slash drinking bros today. Next up, we got blackbuffalo.com. Promo code drinking bros for 20% off. Over there at blackbuffalo.com. Big fan of Black Buffalo. Some people are too big of fans of it. Every time we get a log of this in the studio, it's fucking gone, dude. If you're 21 and older and you use nicotine or tobacco, check out award-winning tobacco alternative, Black Buffalo. It's everything you love about dip, nothing you don't, no compromise, long cut and pouches made from edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, both with and without pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. Black Buffalo comes in classic flavors like wintergreen, mint, straight, peach, and even blood orange. Their pouches have won multiple awards from numerous industry publications. They're Black Buffalo's best-performing products. All products are proudly made in the good old U.S. of A. exclusively for 21-plus adult consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Black Buffalo uses their products online, uh, they sell their products online, forgive me, and ship directly to your front door on blackbuffalo.com. So, use the promo code DRINKINGBROS for 20% off your first order. Boom, that'll come right to your house. Black Buffalo also sells their products in thousands of retailers across the United States. Uh, check their store locator to find a location near you. Look, I, I get them down at the old Circle K here, or I'll get a log delivered to the office or my house Honor your rituals with Black Buffalo. Warning, uh, this product does contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Last but not least, hardafseltzer.com. Let's go, fam. We're in six states, Florida. Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and we're heading to Ohio this weekend. Should be out this Friday up there in Columbus. Columbus will be the first city that we open up in this weekend here. Looking forward to that. We'll give you all the locations, uh, bars and restaurants, and all that fun stuff uh, coming up here at the end of the week. 
We are also uh, in the Tampa Bay Rays Stadium. They're in the midst of the playoffs as we speak right now. Hopefully, they'll have two more games uh, and they'll win them. They're down right now. Uh, hopefully, they'll have more series. Hopefully, they'll make the World Series. Uh, we're also in the Tampa Bay Rowdy Stadium. They have made the playoffs. Go, go and drink them there. Also in the Miami Marlins down there. Hopefully, they win their series against Philadelphia and bring it on back to Miami. Uh, you can also go into every single total wine out there. We're in uh, every single total wine that's available in the southeast. Alabama, every Piggly Wiggly down there. The Shell Station on 1405 University Boulevard down there. University Liquors up in Knoxville. We're in all the college campuses in University of Tennessee, University of Georgia, University of Auburn, and uh, University of Alabama. If you're not near one of those states, we still ship right to your house. Go to hardafseltzer.com today and support us and support the show. For, but it's, for it me, makes sense. For it makes me, sense that you would need one. It, it's it's a skill set I don't have, and yeah. we have the budget to pay the guy to do the work. And he started out as a fan, like a crazy fan following stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's a continuity guy. He's the most important one because he understands the yeah. whole scope of the 20-plus books I published and the 10 I got coming out next. And then we have a story, we have story editors, which mm. so, and that varies based on the story, but that's someone who's more looking at it like, you know what, you could you could punch up this relationship a little bit more. You know, you don't need all this description. That's a story editor, and we finish up with a copy editor. And that's the person mm. who's supposed to go through and <clears throat> while I'm shocked that it doesn't really matter if your grammar's right anymore, we we take care of the details in mm. our business. We want people to get something because every grammatical error is what I call a speed bump, where it takes the reader out of the story. Yeah. And my job is to steal 20 hours of your life, and you don't mm. you don't remember a goddamn thing, and you go yeah. to work tired the next day you didn't sleep. That's my job. Right. Yeah. So we pay for those three, uh, and that's what we do on everything. Now, going back, people just getting started, you absolutely need to hire an editor. In my opinion, save the money, budget for it. You need to hire an editor. You need to hire a cover artist. Those are two things you got to get. Everything else you do yourself. I, I agree. And uh, cover arts uh, roughly cost you, depending upon who you know, anywhere from 2500 to 5k. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, depending upon how crazy you're going to go with it, but you got to know the right people. Uh, how much are you paying for an editor? Uh, let's see if a can send me that information, uh, text that text that to me, what pay for an editor, but it depends on the size of the book. So if I write well, a book, this is a big boy book. Yeah, it's a big boy book. So, I mean, you're looking at roughly I don't now know. this one we put out with Athon. So Athon did the editing for this, but it's a great it, for us. It, we made a particular deal with them, like no advance, but we split everything down the middle for the rest of the thing. So I'm, tr- I'm counting on them to do their math and algorithm work. Right. So this is an experiment on my part. See how they do doing shit that I simply cannot do. I don't okay. understand that. I don't understand the algorithms. I understand that stuff to a detail and it changes all the time and their job is to squat on that and figure out where do we put Facebook ads? Where do we put this pixel? Where do we do this? Well, fa- well editors, us, are, editors are pricey. Editors, you're, you're, so going to, you're going to pay for it. There's a yeah. great site called readsy.com, R-E-A-D-S-Y.com, I believe, uh, but Google that and make sure that's right. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a dating game. It's a warehouse full of editors and story editors. It's like 99 Designs or one of it's those. It's like 99 yeah. Designs, yeah. Or yeah. it's like Fiverr, but <clears throat> Fiverr, with, with yeah. really accomplished people. You go find a person, find a price rate you want to pay. So I think it's about three grand for us, three to five grand. For a good on. You don't want to over fu- there. On the continuity and story especially, you don't want to fuck up in, in nerd stuff and in military stuff. You cannot fuck up because they will roast your ass. Yes. Correct. And in, in particular, time. in a series, too. Yeah, yeah. And they will go yeah. back and say, well, what the fuck happened to this, this guy's horse or the shoes or the thing? And you're like, oh, man, that was eight years ago. You have no idea. So, But on this book, I do have, uh, I, when I do write military fiction and when I do, because I didn't serve, when I do have uh, stories that involve uh, military personnel, 
I've got a battery of experts that I go to. I've got a full bird colonel in the Air Force. I got mm-hmm. a submarine commander. I've got a guy who did three tours in Desert Storm and teaches SWAT teams. <laughs> I have my high school buddy who's who's the Marine. Mm. Yeah, he's just this giant dude nicknamed the Bullet Stopper. So mm. I, I get to go to all four of these guys. Is this accurate? Does this feel right? Uh, unfortunately, those guys all sort of kind of work for free a little bit. They just want it. They they just want to put their time in so it's correct. They sure. want it to be correct because like he's spot on if you don't know how a gun works and you write about a gun you know like the the gun clicked on the automatic pistol clicked on mp3 times which is the old ad you're just like you lose a percentage of your audience and then the guys who do know what's going on they tend to be like i'm finished the story but come on bro all you it's do is still Google going it. on now like i still i still see uh in television frequently a guy pulls out an automatic right yep. handgun like a Glock, which doesn't even have a hammer on it, and you hear that distinctive sound of a forty-five Colt 1911 hammer being pulled out. Mm-hmm. It's like, that gun doesn't have that. So I don't know where that sound came from. You better look behind you. There's a third gun in the room, asshole. And Again, that- it takes me, for, and to your point earlier, that takes me right out of the you're story. Out, you're out. And you can, you can write that story and entertain mm. a lot of people, make a lot of people happy, but the people who actually did the sacrifice and did the work, mm. you know, your cops, your firefighters, your soldiers, your sailors, those, your airmen, those people, for me, that is a huge part of my audience. Well, that's and I, I got to get that right. Like yeah. as a marketer, that's your firebrand. That that's the people who are gonna like the the ordinary people who might read that book are gonna ask them about the book. Yep. Right. It's it's third party validation. It's a very simple marketing principle. So if I was <clears throat> making a, a a movie about the NFL, I would have NFL guys tell me what to do mm-hmm. because. If somebody ha- happened to know one of them and asked them, like they're like, "No, this is total bullshit. Right? This is nonsense. What you're reading here." And you, luckily, the big productions, you're starting to see that. Jack Carr is a fucking seal, so he already knows. He knows, but he still has a team of advisors, mm-hmm. right? Because shit changes on him <clears throat> too, yeah. right? Shit changes um, over time. Yeah, and that leads me to a question the audience asks: is We're talking about self-publishing. Is there a point? And this is I'm in, I'm manicuring the question that was asked because I think this is uh, a more relevant question. Okay. The question was. The self-publishing makes sense for a guy like Jack Carr. The real question is, is there a financial point that you get to where all the additional work isn't worth the money from self-publishing the book and the audio when you're making film and all this other stuff? Have you, th- have you considered it, that? You know, when you ask, is it worth it? Uh, is there a point where it breaks down? The yeah. only way you can, add, you can solve that equation is if X is there's someone who wants to pay you money for that book. And that's a rare thing. Well, once thing. you're established. Well, once you're established. Like Jack, I'm, let's use him as a specific just, example. Because yeah. he's, got, he's got two series on Amazon now. Because mm-hmm. the new one's being filmed with Taylor Kitsch or whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah, he's good. Uh, uh, yeah, he's incredible. It's, this is the prequel story for the other guy, Ben, whatever. I don't remember his last name. But then he's got the very successful book series, right? He's got it pretty much locked down. He writes a book every X amount of months. And then does his four weeks of touring around, does his podcast, that in the, the end, right? Yeah. So for a guy like that, from, from my perspective, probably doesn't make sense to do the granular work of a self-published person Correct. anymore. Correct. But from your perspective, is there a point where you're going to get to that? Or is that a trajectory you're on? Because uh, it, 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 you've got a fucking pretty loyal audience. Around. we got a great loyal audience. and It really depends. We're kind of like one more big hit away from being in that position. Because mm. right now we have to weigh, okay, if I hire people <clears throat> to do all of this stuff, yeah. 
and I'm also uh, I'm kind of a control freak about my stuff because it's it's got to be right. So mm-hmm. that 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 comes into it. But for a person of Jack's level, no, he's not going to do any of this day to day work himself. He's going to have much more uh, higher profit margin by hiring someone to do it, getting more yeah. product out into the marketplace. Sure. And this is this is the trajectory for any startup, by the way. Your goal, us with the booze, back at Black Rifle back in the day, mm-hmm. you as an author delivering a deliverable straight to your audience. You're trying to work yourself out of the jobs that you're not best at. Correct. Right. Like your job is to be creative and write that shit down. You're yes. not like you have marketing skills, but you're this is what you do. Right. This is you, us. you want to eliminate that part from your fucking scrum board. Right. And just have writing on there if possible. And I'm not there yet, but <clears throat> my my partner handles like all of all of the money, all the banking, all the taxes, mm. all of the Amazon stuff, all the kind of stuff, all the audible stuff. She's controlling. Uh, she hires all the editors, hires all the cover artists. Yeah. She's managing the production line. So I'm already almost all the way out to just writing. It's yeah. just that I, You're close. You are, right I, I'm very close, but I do. I still do uh, the marketing, deciding what we're going to do marketing wise and social media which takes up a fuck ton of time yeah. takes no. up a ton of time that's the first but thing finding that- somebody that can manage it that can that can replicate your voice is so fucking hard it's so hard and Me- i'm not i'm not sure i'm comfortable with like uh, if i hire a social media person you say i'm not scott but here's what scott has to think about this right. which i have to do and yeah. so at the end of the the work day here the first thing i do is i pick up my phone and i double check what the social media girl has posted for us okay on behalf of the company and everything else and I'll say, no, nuke this, you know, yes, put that up. Uh, because okay. it is. It, it's it's very hard to get somebody else to write in your voice or talk about the things yep. that, that you specifically want to talk about. And if the wrong thing gets out, it's like, hey, dude, get that the fuck out of here. Like, know your audience. I say yes. that all the time. I'm like, know your fucking audience. I would never post something like no. that. Get that <laughs> off the goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's tough to give up that control as well just to somebody but else. Then- for your audio book, I want to get into this before yeah. we get out of here as we're getting short on time. Oh, okay. The audio book, if, if it's a biography, autobiography, you want to read it yourself, right? Especially if you have a presence in social media and people know what you sound like. If they hear somebody else's voice, that's a problem. I like, agree. This is sci-fi, right? Yes. So you've got Ray Porter, who, by the way, also does Jack's The Terminal List. Correct. He's the guy for that. Yep. One of the best in the business. Um, he, he also does... What's that Dick's name that did The Martian, that wrote The Martian? He oh, does all gosh, of his books, it. too. And he's got a new one coming out. Like, oh, so the movie was Matt, Matt Damon. Andy, yeah, yeah. Andy, Wa- Andy Weir. Weir. Andy Weir. Andy yeah. Weir. He's an he's he's incredible writer, right? And so how did you end up with this dude as your fucking speaker? I wound up with uh, Ray Porter via Jonathan Mayberry, who writes, <clears throat> uh, writes the Joe Ledger series, which if you guys, I mm. guarantee you guys would love that yeah. shit. Joe Ledger series is great, and... Uh, and, and you know, Jonathan's, uh, we've been working together for a while as a friend. I'm like, I want to start, I, I need to, because I understand the algorithm, basically. Mm. I understand the value of a narrator who brings his or her own audience. Especially now that you can click his name that's a link yes. and go to every book he's ever done. There are right? people who will buy Ray's books no matter yep. what the F. Yeah. The yeah. Jo- Scott, they don't care. Him, Scott Brick, there's a couple other Scott, guys. There's, yeah. a, there's a bunch of guys who are great. This is the, the titans of this industry. And Jonathan hooked me up with Ray, and I'm like, oh, I can never afford Ray. And then I called Ray, and we <laughs> talked about it. I'm like, I can afford Ray. Let's go. And then Ray, uh, fortunately, really likes my work. So we get him. He does everything, everything that I don't narrate, he narrates, aside from some stuff we sell off to other, mm. other publishers. Okay. Yeah. He's uh, very good. And, and how many books did, has he done for you? He has done one. T- I think this is, I think Shakedown is the third. He did Earthcore, which is our biggest seller <coughs> by far. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what pays the bills in our house. And then he did the sequel, Mount Fitzroy, which he also just crushed. 
So those are those are one book one and book two of that series, and now we got him to do Shakedown. He's done a bunch of short stories for us as well. So and he's done six for Jack now, I think. Yeah, if a lot. I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's he's it's his body of work is getting prolific. At this it's, point. He was the 2015 Audible Narrator of the Year, yeah. Audible's Narrator of the Year. So yeah. like he's and also just a, a phenomenal guy to work with. Meets his deadlines. <clears throat> I mean, just all the stuff like from actors. Sometimes you never know what you're going to get. He, get, he takes care sure of all don't. his business. Yeah. You never know. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, uh, with, with a guy like Ray, let's go to, to, to AI here. Um, yeah. Because now, uh, I talked about this on the, on the show before, uh, there's apps that are coming out where you can license celebrity mm-hmm. uh, AI and have them read in your audiobooks. And, and uh, Snoop Dogg and Gwyneth Paltrow was the one that I, I chatted about on the show a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Have you looked into that? I've not looked into that yet. Uh, I'm going to hold off on that as long as I can. Mm. But it's absolutely going to, it's going to completely rewrite the industry. What, because, if it, what if it was Samuel L. Jackson? How uh, many, how, I mean, this is, this is okay. a two-part question. What if it was Sam Jackson? And then two, how many times would you write motherfucker in your book? Oh my God, it would just be, <laughs> basically the whole book would be motherfucker and go get me some milk, motherfucker. That's, That's the name yeah. of the book. Yeah. Go get me <laughs> some milk, motherfucker. Does he look like a bitch <laughs> by Scott Sigler? <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I could write that. would be great. Uh, what you're going to get though is even if you don't want to pay those rates, now you're talking about, uh, I write a book, let's say an 80,000 word book, which anybody listening to this, that's the number to shoot for. 80,000 words, that's a full novel, but you're not writing 1.5 or two or three novels worth. It's not Tolstoy, yeah. Stick to $80,000, cause the, or 8,000 words, excuse me. But what you're gonna be able to do the manuscript like that is you are either going to be able to get software and go through everything, highlight copy of text, and say, this voice, this emotion, mm-hmm. This fast. Yep. And just menu, boom, 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 boom. And then you create a macro for that. And you just go, boop, 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 go through all the dialogue. And the narrator voice is all basically the same consistency. You just have to go through and do that. And you're going to be able to put out an audiobook that is, is not going to be the best acted audiobook in the world, but it's going to be done. It's going to be up on ACX. It's going to be up on Audible. And it's going to cost you almost nothing to do that. That and is you're coming. making money as an independent creator. Yeah. creator. And you're, so. you're reducing your cost. And that is, going, that is coming... It's got to be, it's, it's not here already. It's definitely coming. Very then close. you're talking about, yeah, then you're talking about like, I want Samuel Jackson to do yeah. this. And he, he just records what, however much he records and AI figures out the rest. So you can have Samuel Jackson, same thing. Do this for, do this voice, do this speed, do this intensity. And so hearsay motherfucker four times in a row. It's it, the technology is already here. It's only a question of whether that's uh, that's going to take over now or later. I'm going to, as soon as this is all squared away i'm gonna write a novel that's just a dinner party with all the funniest celebrities that's a great idea talking shit to each other and you don't actually do any work i mean you write the stuff right yeah. you don't have to pay any of these assholes anything correct well yeah. they'll get a royalty yeah that's fine that's, that's fine. all right yeah. royalties royalties a little bit less money you're making as yeah, opposed yeah. to money you're yeah. paying out on your own it's totally fine now let's get to the ai side as far as writing goes yep um everybody's asking how close that is uh, here's my opinion, and then I'm curious to hear yours. As somebody like you or me or somebody who's writing comedy or something this in-depth or whatever, I don't know how AI could recreate this, um, me personally. Now, if you're getting into like procedurals and shit like that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, where are your thoughts at on, on AI writing-wise, and, and have you given it a shot already? Well, there's the, I think there's two angles on that, which is so much successful pop culture work it follows a very specific formula right? Mm-hmm. To get an AI to write the hero's journey, like the, the classic story, uh, Star Wars, for example. I don't think that is, that is not very far away. We're talking like a year or two. You can tell, like, I, just give me, give me another version of Star Wars with different names and slightly different stuff. I agree. That's yep. easy to do, right? I think that's coming, 
And there are going to be farms and factories that are putting out 100, 200, <clears throat> 300 books a year because frequency matters in Audible. Frequency matters in Kindle. Mm-hmm. And there's people I know that are writing, you know, like like five to eight novels a year of 80,000 word length. And that frequency of dropping games the algorithm significantly. And if you're putting out stuff on a regular basis, you're going to sell more books. So that is where AI will be a huge game changer to start with. But then what I want to get into it for would be if I can feed all my novels to an AI and then give that AI an outline, say, write me a first draft with this outline. And then it's going to be garbage, but that's going to save me the time writing the first draft. This is, the, this is what I don't know if it'll work or not. Then I go through and I'm basically doing a second, second draft edit to stuff that was written to my detailed outline I think that could be a thing that could help a lot of authors down the road. Yeah, and I think uh, if you're using it for an outline, great, right? Um, but I think you, there will be a noticeable difference. Uh, whereas yeah. something like the financial industry, which is it's already happened now, and I don't, again, I don't think the audience knows. Almost every financial article is AI. Yep. Um, because it's easy. It's just numbers, and you're plugging it in. And it's, it has been for like five, six years, uh, too. Yeah, yeah it's so, been around a long time. But with that, uh, comedy, sci-fi, there'll be some things <laughs> left. Comedy you still can't do, comedy in can't my do. opinion. <laughs> um, although, you know, watching Hollywood come back for Late Night last night, you were like, oh, what will you offer five months for? <laughs> like, that is, you're still telling Trump jokes in fucking, you know, 2023. Yeah. Like, all right, yeah. cool. Uh, so I'm not sure. And then as far as, like, the creative side of it, you know, the first project they announced was the Office reboot. And you're just like. The one thing that AI is going to really uh, is going to be valuable on is editing. Copy editing, stuff like that. Yes. A, a, a copy, we pay, like I said, three to five grand for a copy editor to do the final pass on a book. Mm-hmm. At some point, I'm going to get AI to read all my stuff and know how I like stuff to go. And the copy editing is going to wind up costing us pennies on the dollar for that. And then I, I, the people I really feel bad for are graphic artists. Graphic artists are screwed. Yes. Completely screwed. Mm-hmm. And Animators uh, after that, probably. Animators are, are in very short order. Because again, you, just like, you, you put up a basic panel. I want this to happen, this to happen. And they fill it in. And it's gonna be, I, I think that is a dead art. I think everybody in that needs to start thinking about what to do next. But cover art is something that when you are an independent author, that's one of the things you spend your money on. Mm-hmm. As we talked about for three, five grand for really good cover art. If you just have word, just a typography, background with some words on it, that's still three to 500 bucks to get it done correctly so it looks good. AI is already doing that stuff uh, already. <clears throat> and it's really going to come down to how many independent authors want to actually pay their money to go hire a human being to do a thing as opposed to paying... of that to go have AI do it and get endless variations, endless repetitions, get exactly what you want. So it's it's already over. It's just, it's done. Yeah, uh, I agree. So uh, simple steps for the audience here. If you are self-publishing. Yep. ACX. Yep. uh, That's for Audible. That's for- Let uh, me break that down real quick. So the reason ACX rules for people is if you've written a book, hopefully you've edited your book, ACX is called Audible Exchange. So you can go there and you can sample different narrators and listen to what they have to say. And then you can upload a sample chat. I think it's like five, 10 pages. And then narrators who have their own studios and their own editing will listen, will read that, read it and send you their reading and compete to get your business as the, as the narrator for your book. And they'll give you a quote for how much they want. Correct. Or they'll do a revenue split. So it's also, if you have very little budget, you can put your book up on ACX, go find a narrator. It's like, you know what? I'll do that. And we'll split the proceeds 50, 50. Great. You're not going to make any money, but you're in the ball game. You've got something on Amazon. You're building an author name and you're starting to trip the algorithm. So that's ACX is huge. And you also, of course, can just flat out pay three to five to six grand to have somebody narrate it and you get all the rights. Uh, You you don't have to pay them any royalty. So ACX is great. It's it's overwhelmed with input now, but it's still pretty well run. The people who are running it are pretty solid. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they do have too much business to handle, but they're doing, they do a good job. Uh, and then KDP, which is much 
harder to get actual good help with, but you can figure out how that goes. That is uh, kdp.com. That is where you can go to upload your manuscript. And hopefully you have it formatted by someone, but you upload your manuscript, you upload your cover art, you put in your categories, and you're on Amazon right next to Stephen King, right next to Scott Sigler, right next to Ross Patterson. And by and large, people can't tell the difference from looking at it if you've got a good cover. And so you can get in the game that way too. So right out of the gate as an independent author, you can have an audiobook done with ACX. Mm-hmm. You can get your ebook, your Kindle book done with KDP. And then if you can get it formatted, you can have print, you can have paperback and hardcover available for print on demand. Yep. And to anyone who doesn't go into a bookstore, you look exactly like every other author on the planet. Correct. That is why things are phenomenal right now. And then it comes down to, <clears throat> do you write good stuff? Yeah. Do you write uh, on a regular basis? And does your, the X factor that never changes, does your stuff resonate with an audience? Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, you win all the awards in the world, your stuff doesn't resonate, you're not going to sell any books. I agree. You know what would be uh, another application is if you write, if you're a guy that, or a person that writes nonfiction on a regular basis and you narrate your own shit mm-hmm. you're pretty soon you're going to be able to read six paragraphs into a machine and then have it do your narration for you so instead of spending 18 fucking hours in the sound booth somewhere i, I hadn't yeah. thought of that it fucking sucks yeah it's he did it fun. He, yeah i brought him into my last yeah. one and it's, yeah it's not sweet dude audiobooks are brutal brutal when you're reading them on your own uh, yeah. Brutal, yeah. you you got I've done, raised i've done 12 good. so far on my own oh you on your all, own all okay. the galactic football league stuff i do all that myself we yeah. edit it we put the voice effects on for the different alien races playing Oof. it's an enormous I mean, enormous you, amount yeah. of work you could li- i mean we're, we're getting pretty close within the next five years probably maybe maybe two to be honest but certainly in the next five where you get to read six paragraphs off a cue card one time and then that thing does your voice for the rest of your fucking I, life. I agree. I mean, yeah. holy shit. The, the time that it will save you, not just the time, but the studio. If you don't have your own studio, the studio costs, because it's somewhere between five and 15 grand to do that, typically, mm-hmm. right? To get that MV3 made. Now I can do it for free. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty sweet. Yeah. And for free without having to, forget about the cost of the actual thing, but spending the time in the room in the first place because you think it's going to take you eight hours. And they're like, oh, I don't fucking speak English, apparently. Yeah. yeah. I'm a fucking idiot. I, I thought I was smart. I'm dumb as shit. You start stumbling on like <clears throat> basic two-syllable words, and you've been there. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have. Oh, the same yeah, mistake yeah. on the same word. I know in my head I'm supposed <laughs> to say this one word, yep. but I'm like, you know what would be better is this other word, and you keep saying the other word yep. over and over again. Fucking sucks. Yeah, yes. and I, I like, even as an actor, it was it's a bitch, right? And I never forget Tim Kennedy called me after like the first day of reading his, and he goes, holy shit, dude. I spent an entire day, and I got to like two pages, you know? And I was like, it, it's way more challenging than you ever thought of. It's, it's However, if you're writing it about yourself, and uh, you should do it. Like the audience wants to hear it. There's, from a, there's another advantage to uh, recording the audiobook yourself, which is, and this is what I learned with, my whole writing style is uh, influenced by the fact that I started doing my own podcast. So I was very verbose, very wordy, and frankly, super fucking impressed with myself. I thought it was, I thought it was God's gift to writing. I'm like, I'm going to be the next Stephen King. What's up? Deal with it. And yeah. Then I started to read my own shit for the podcast. And while I'm reading it, I'm getting bored of my own <clears throat> writing with my, and I'm like, holy fuck, I got to cut this out. Yeah. And then when I listen to the edit, I'm like, I am bored to tears with my <laughs> own writing. So my, my style has become very, very tight. So the advice to your viewers is you write that book, you get it edited, then you read it. 
you record your mm-hmm. audiobook and you'll find stuff that doesn't sound right, that doesn't work. Yeah. That you just, I don't <clears> need <throat> these eight paragraphs. Cut you should, this shit you out. should do that with a speech. Hear it out loud, yes. You should do that with a speech as well. Like if you're going to write, if you're doing public speaking, the most important thing you can do is write that shit down mm-hmm. and then video yourself, video or, or at least audio record yourself doing it and keep a uh, time of how long it takes yep. mm-hmm. right that whole thing because you'll get that pacing will become part of it right and then you hear like even when we were doing his audio book there were some sentences that were clunky and as we're saying them out loud you know it would sound better if we said this yeah yep. and then you go back and change the book so I, I would change right? the book so i record the <clears throat> audio book before the finished book is done mm-hmm. just because if there is things that i hate um and it doesn't sound right coming yeah. out of people's mouths Chances are it's not going to be great for the audience, which I think either, is becoming so more popular now. It, yeah. But it, that was not common back in the it day. Was not. No, it was not. And you you hear a lot. Of, well, you see a lot of reprints uh, of books happen, right? Yep. Especially if it's a factual error. That's that's a whole other thing. But you see a lot of reprints of books with with the verbiage change now. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. then at least I don't we know if do they're still too. doing that. We've done we've done it. We we put books out, and as we get as we get errors uh, coming in, usually mm-hmm. from fans catching stuff, you know, we've got, we fix that, of course, in the Kindle. And if we do a print on demand, we fix it there. Or if we do another edition of print where we do a print run, we, <clears throat> we fix it there as well. But I, there's just the most powerful thing a person can do, especially nonfiction, write the book, yep. get the book edited, read it, and record it, and then listen back to it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to short, it'll cut your book by like 20%. And yeah. the stuff you have will be so much tighter and better. And you'll have a lot more confidence and be much happier with it. I mean, it. I even did, did this, uh, when I was in college, when I wrote papers, I would record myself reading it out loud and just like, just on a shitty, sometimes I'm like, just on my computer yeah. before phones were even it a works. thing back then. It yeah, works. It's super yeah. effective. Yep. It absolutely does. <clears throat> um, so do not send me any more emails. Just listen to the show, <laughs> share it with everybody else. Here's the info. No, for, for real. And, uh, and again, I watched you from afar. Uh, you didn't know me or anything like that. So cool. And when I came up to you at that party that night yeah. in LA a few months back, I was just like, holy shit, dude. Because uh, Jonathan was the one. He goes, you know so-and-so? And I go, oh my God, is that him? I've never seen him in real life. That's amazing. And so I just, That's just bolted amazing. across the party and then talked your ear off for 45 minutes. And I said, hey. It was super, it was super cool. And, and to, know, uh, to know that w- without knowing, to now know that something I did had an influence on someone who's been able to build this, just dude, your empire is just freaking amazing. This is just, this building's incredible. You got all these wonderful people working for you. You're branching out and other stuff. It's really, it's really cool to watch you succeed. But if I didn't have the knowledge to do it or the confidence to do it and see somebody else do it, uh, cause you always wonder who's going to be the first, uh, I, in my opinion, I think you were. Um, so Pretty I, close. Pretty close, I, I, I yeah. think so too. So like, that's kind of where I was. And then it made it feel like it was possible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that night I was like, holy shit, dude, I don't think you understand. Cause you feel like you're chasing a ghost at some point when you're writing. Yeah. Cause you got this image in your mind of, of what you can do, how you could succeed, but you got to get X amount of people to do it. Uh, right. And until somebody sets the tone for or the bar, you know, for for whatever you're doing, you don't know that it's possible. And uh, you were that dude for me, same way cool. uh, Scott Rosenberg was the dude in screenwriting for yep. me, where I was just like, all right, great. Those are the two intersecting. And then, uh, you know, as we became friends and everything else, I was like, look, when you're in Austin, please come and do this show. Tell everybody about how to do it. And, uh, we and actually, we came just to Austin just for this. Really. Did you really? Yeah, we did. Like, well, you're, I know you're doing it on the show tonight, right? We, we are, but I, we have, uh, we have buddies on uh, night attack and, mm. uh, that we've known, we've been <clears throat> in the, the sci-fi con space with them, podcasting space with them for like 15 years. So we kind of tallied them up, but we have been saving the chip when you were right. at the party. Like anytime you want to come to the show, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to take you up on that yeah. shit. Well, well, for sure. Well, since you're here, then, uh, the, give us a, the elevator pitch for the books 
because our people buy books. Great. Okay. So the ones that you're trying to promote right now, give them the fucking So I'll try, and keep, I'll try and keep the Crypt because that's the big one right now. It's book one mm. of a five-book series. Here it is right here. And uh, some of the comps are Run Silent, Run Deep, Runs Deep meets Event Horizon. Mm, okay. So what you've got is this ship on the front is a found object 600 years from the future by a human government. And they find this, uh, this alien vessel and mm. there's no one on it. It's completely empty. And they figure out how to use it. And if you know hard sci-fi... There's no stealth in space. You can't have, it's not possible to have any stealthy action in space without fucking with physics a whole bunch. Mm. So what this ship can do is slip into another dimension, travel another dimension, pop back out and perform various missions behind enemy lines, et cetera. Like a, a different spatial dimension. So you're talking about it, like going into the fourth spatial dimension, traveling, coming back. Kind, kind of like that. Okay. Yeah, kind of like that. It's, uh, it's called membranes in yeah, the book and yeah, there's, yeah. there's st- endless stacks of membranes. So it's based on like uh, M theory then. Uh, I think String so. Theory, yeah. yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, I think so. So you, you've got that. Two, the two things that make it unique are, number one, is the missions they send this thing out on, the crew gets chewed up a lot. And so we're talking like 50 to 80% mortality rate in the crew. So when it comes back, anyone who's daddy's an admiral, who's got a career track, anybody who's connected, make sure they don't go put in this ship. Hmm. So it's like they get the worst of the worst. Basically, you've been convicted of cowards in combat, assault, uh, superior officer, rape, murder, anything. Well, you have a skill set. Would you like to go serve two years on this ship, or would you like to be executed? So for it's your like crime? the wall in Game of Thrones. Yep, it's a, it's like Game Somewhere. of Thrones. It's the wall in Game of Thrones. It's the Devil's Brigade. Yeah, if you yeah, remember Devil's that Brigade, one, it's yeah. Australian space. I've heard yeah, people yeah, call yeah. it Australian space. So that you get a you get a bunch of uh, most of the crew is not very stable to start with, and then traveling in this other dimension causes people to have hallucinations, psychotic behavior, all kinds of breakdowns. You wind up just getting to the point where you're going to have to fight for your life. There are people chained down to their cots. There are people medically drugged down, and it's just bonkers. So it's kind of a nightmare ship. But in effect, in effect, what you get is the only submarine in the entire uh, the entire panoply of the war a that's galactic going on. submarine yeah. it's a galactic yeah, submarine yeah, so it's the only one conform these missions so it's sent out on a regular basis and that's just book one and then we go through and things are going to get crazy in the rest of them so it's super dark it's got some cosmic horror to it it's very gritty gritty realistic military fiction and where star wars sometimes gets bagged on for being world war ii in space mm-hmm. which of course won't happen you don't have ships coming like this in space there are reasons that things have to slow down in this book and you actually have People firing manual mass driving weapons. There's no lasers, there's no particle beams, there's nothing. None of that works in the environment I've created. So you've got some, if you've seen um, Greyhound, you guys seen that movie, Tom Hanks movie Greyhound? Uh, no, actually, I haven't not, seen Greyhound. Not, great, do, I have the, do I have the wrong, wrong word for it? The Tom Hanks uh, World War II movie that's on Apple is friggin' phenomenal. Oh, I've never seen it. It's, it's, it's wonderful. The combat scenes are really great. But it's a lot <clears> of in close combat. It's, it's people boarding ships. It's just some bonkers, bonkers stuff. With my signature style. Of oh, Chet Hanks one. is in that one. Oh, is Chet in it too? Now I'm all in. Dude. Yeah, he's got a very small part in it. I yeah. love Chet, dude. Yeah. Not, not big enough. Yeah. Is that no. the movie Greyhound? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's Greyhound. I'll tell you, it's one last weird story. And then, and I'll, I'll well, so, fire away. We, we don't give a shit. If you, it, you, you can look in the, if you guys uh, buy Shakedown, you can look in the back for all the movies I watched and all the books I read to influence this. And it's a lot of the old made in the sixties, world war two mm. movies is um, that the name of the ship is the PV James Keeling. It's named after a fan of mine who used to like, he worked for an airline. So he would fly all over the country <clears> to come see my different appearances. So I'm like, dude, you fucking pimp. Did you fly from Minnesota for this shit? That's yeah, great. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm putting you in a book. So I named the ship after him. There's never been a U.S. Navy ship called the Keeling. So I'm, as I'm working with my, I told my, my four military advisors and we're talking all the time. We're watching all the same movies, having a great time doing this. Start watching Grey on Tom Hanks. 
And I look it up. It's not in the movie, but I look it up on Wikipedia. And like the name of the ship is, it's the Keeling. That's the name of the ship in Greyhound. And I'm like, what the F? And I, so then I start searching the history. There's, there has to have been a, sh- a ship named the Keeling. There isn't. They made it up for this movie. And I, am, I will, might never know. It's possible because I've been writing, I've been podcasting that book for like 15 years. Yeah. So it may be a fan of mine might be on the writing staff to randomly pick this name out of nowhere to call it the Keeling. Even though it's not called the Keeling in the movie, the official name of the ship in Greyhound <laughs> is the Keeling. So that's super, super awesome. Is that the only fan in your books? Uh, say again? Is that the only fan that you've ever written into? Oh a book? no, tons. Yeah, because you've written one tons. fan into I your did. book. You want to tell him that story? Yeah, I'll tell him because it's, yeah. fa- it's fantasy football and all that stuff. So uh, one of our listeners, Josh McClurg, was a big fan of of all the St. James books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't he Matt's cousin? He's Matt's cousin. Yeah, yeah. Matt best cousin. And yeah. so uh, he's in the Cutthroat Killers League, which is our top fantasy football league. We do a bunch for Drinking Bros Sports here, okay. and uh, and he goes, "My dream is to be a character in your book." And uh, and he goes, if I beat you in the Super Bowl, if I win the Super Bowl this year in fantasy football, can I have a name in your book? And I said, absolutely. Good luck. Um, went down with a nasty injury. Uh, Todd Gurley kind of oh, fucked me yeah. and I lost yeah. the championship yeah. he got. He won. And so I agreed to write him in the book. However, uh, it, I wrote him in as a graphic rape scene. <laughs> so the guy's name is Josh McClurg. So if somebody gets McClurged in the book, that's when you rape a man. Uh, and then you pump him full of 16 ounces of semen. Uh, you tear off his shirt and then you dump on his back afterwards. <laughs> well, you eat his hair too. And then right? you rip out his hair and yeah. then you eat his fucking hair. In he must front be of delighted him. he won that Super Bowl. He loved his it. kids loved it too. <laughs> he's got two. Too. He's got two boys. Two I boys. think like what yep. 19 and 17 or some shit now. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So they went. They went they hunting. It was a true story. Yeah. They went hunting. They were in a deer stand and uh, it, like everybody listens to audiobooks when they're hunting because it's it's boring. You're just you're waiting all day. Yep. And he goes, uh, man. So I'm sitting there with my kids. And you said you, I was going to be in the book. I said, yeah, yeah, you're going to be in the book. And he goes, both of my sons said, Dad, I guarantee you're getting raped in this book. <laughs> <laughs> They're fans of the show, so they, know, they, yeah, knew, they knew exactly yeah. what was coming. And they were like, oh, God damn it, dude, I got raped. I got raped in the book. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, big fan of that, but I like doing that as well because you support the people that support you. It's huge, yeah. And I think that's the way it should be, and, uh, and it's great at the end of the day. We used to do it, this is like, I'm so damn old. We had like a pre-Facebook site, right? So mm. we had, at one point, we had 14,000 like users. Angel Fire. MySpace. Scottsingler.com <laughs> had 14,500 active users on it. This is the pre-Facebook. Holy and, shit. And we That's had, a lot, dude. We had people were on there all the time. We created a point system. So I don't you, have that you, on my own Facebook now. It, you, oh, <laughs> it, it, if you, so if you participate in the site and work with other people, and this we were also doing Sigler Fest, so every year in Vegas, all the fans would come to Vegas and hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got points, and people at the top of the point board, I would gradually pick them off and use them as names mm-hmm. in the books. Well, that site's gone because Facebook destroyed all of that. So now the rule is, if you get a tattoo of my work somewhere in your body and you email that, you're going in a book at some point. Oh, that's sick. great. Sick. So good. I'm a big fan. We got, I think we're up to 100 tattoos now, which oh, is holy shit. the most mind-trippy thing for me in the world. The stuff I made up out of nothing is now on people's bodies. Bodies, so they die well 100 years from now when some alien race is excavating people yeah who the fuck is this guy yep that people had tattooed they're gonna think you're like a fucking cult leader or something i want to be a cult leader that's that's my goal well what what kind of cult like sex cult what kind of cult are we talking about i got so this this goes back to the AI thing i've always had a dream unfortunately my wife won't let me do this yet but i'm working on it (laughs) which is i want to i want to make a video put it up Mm. and say i'm gonna start a religion right now and one year from today i'm gonna Mm. come back and tell you the video you're watching right now is ai that's not true. And then start an online religion, build up a following, and then let that come out. 
and see how many people will believe that me telling them to their face is that this is not a real religion. They believe that's AI. And I think it'd be a significant, significant number. That's that, a real Turing test right there. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's fucking awesome. That'd yeah, be a great be book too. It'd be a great book. I got I do got one book based on that, which I haven't got to yet. But yeah. Okay. Creating a religion, having it turn on you is super fun. That is really fun. Yeah. Uh, now's the point in the show. We get this thing called the Drinking Bro of the Week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the Drinking Bro of the Week to? Shoot, man. This will sound corny, but I think i got to give my uh, Drinking Bro of the Week to, uh, to my wife, who's really, we've been together for uh, a while. We started as business partners. We were both married to other people. And then I got divorced, then she got divorced. And after a while, and we did not get along as business partners very well at all. It was a lot of, a lot of arguing. But then uh, once we started dating, and then we got married, and uh, the work she has put into getting me to understand that by and large, I, I've wanted all my goals, and it's okay for me to not be a little ball of hate and relax and enjoy shit and don't have to work all the time has been, uh, has been really huge. So my life has changed dramatically because at some point you have to be like, if you can work your ass off all the time, at what point do you be like, now I'm going to enjoy the benefits of having worked my ass off. You know, I work, you know, 90 hours a week. When do I get to actually say that was, look, look at all we accomplished was 90 hours a week. Right. So that's my drinking bro of the week. Uh, so is my action. We, we get hammered all the time. It's great. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, you, you were mine. Uh, and, ah, I, dude, and I got sweet. to tell you it's your Sorry. face and, uh, and I'm glad you were here today. Uh, look, you, certainly changed my life. I don't know how many other lives you have changed without knowing it, uh, but I wanted to thank you in person, and, uh, and it means a lot. Uh, also, if you were out there, and hopefully you listened to his story, um, please write the book you want to write. Do yes. it. Actually go through the process and everything else. Even if it doesn't make any money, look at it like a bucket list thing, like write, uh, running a marathon mm -hmm. uh, or going to Fenway or Wrigley Field or something like that. Okay. Uh, it is rewarding at the end of the day. The world will decide whether or not correct. it's great, and you can be a professional at it. And uh, and you keep you keep getting better at it too. Correct. You got to get you got to get in the ring. You got to take your lumps, and you got to get back in the ring again. And keep swinging. But it is not a profession you are going to be rich on the first shot or overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, I promise you that. So you've got to love to do it, uh, or it is very very hard. And uh, every book for me feels like a goddamn mountain. Uh, I'm in the middle of one right now, and I'm just like, holy shit, dude. Uh, it's it never gets easier. Never ever gets easier. Yeah. Uh, so just keep going and uh, and try to finish it. Uh, is the guy from Sigma Chi still here? By the way, Bob, or did he bounce? Yeah, he's here. He is. Uh, will you give him your microphone yeah. back there and uh, and switch out with him? We'll give him a quick, Real quick shout out. I, here. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call my shot here. I Go think ahead. I think you gotta challenge your audience to see if the drinking bros bump is a real thing. Is the drinking bros bump a real thing for my book? That's what I want to know. People are gonna go buy this thing. I want to see <clears> the results. The we we the haven't done a sci-fi one yet. It's so the one. So we had we've yet. had Orson Scott Card on before. Okay, yeah. Uh, Ender's Game and Speaker for, Speaker of the Dead is my favorite book Love ever. Him. Love him. Um, but we had him on, but it was years after he like he was still puttering around writing some stuff but it was years after his big work so we didn't really promote any of his books we were talking about old ones so we okay this will be the first sci-fi one it's mostly non-fiction aside from jack yeah and, yeah and you guys, most, you guys. most everybody who comes on the show is typically yeah it's a jack and greg are the only correct. two fiction writers we've okay. had all right yeah. greg's a buddy of ours so let's Jack's chat we'll, we'll we'll try it today it was because it also depends on if they liked you on the show or not and yeah that's not yeah we well control that's either. rare that people like me so it's <laughs> fine <laughs> So by the crypts by Scott Sigler. Let's see the drinking bros bump. Yeah. What do you want? It hardback. 
I think uh, I think based people are listening to this. Uh-huh. I think they would really enjoy the audiobook. So okay, great. You, so get, I already bought it. You did while yes. we were on the air. Sweet. Yeah. Right. So, All right. You at least so got buy one. the audiobook of the Crypt by Scott Sigler now, and then see what that bump is, and he'll text I'll me. I'll measure it and let you at know at the end of the week. Yes, sir. Uh, and then we've got a young gentleman here from Sigma Chi at Texas A and M. Uh, we've decided to give you guys uh, about 100 cases of hard AF seltzer. You have a huge game this weekend against the University of Alabama at home. They fucked you guys, though, and they put it on at 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, tell everybody your name. Peyton Doherty. Nice to meet y'all. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, cheers, man. How hard do you guys go? So, like, uh, is Friday night still the night for date parties and formals and all that stuff? We like those on Thursday, but no you know, shit. Yeah, Thursday right. nights, Thursdays and Tuesdays. Yeah. Fuck, and Tuesdays, Fridays for boys. Damn, dude. Socials were always Thursdays. Uh-huh. Yeah. Real ours were only on Fridays at Ohio wow. State, but we also had a like a Greek police that would come around, so we had to abide by them. And then they would stop by and make sure everything was all right. And it was a checklist and bullshit. So I know it's different in every school. All right, so Thursday night, do you guys have a huge party at Sigma Chi on Thursday night? Yeah, I'm actually. Before we go any further, I'm going to correct you real quick, Ross. I'm actually part of a men's org. Oh, okay. AMA. Yes, sir. AMA, Aggie Men's Alliance. Gotcha, gotcha, yes, gotcha. Hey, but just as big, just as good. That's what I, I hear. And it's all kind of split up into different segments now. And everybody's raging these days. So, uh, But it's always under a different name. Ours was an annex back in the day. And that's a hard wink on that one. So I, <laughs> I, I love to hear it. Um, how hard do you guys typically go for shit like this? All these drinks right here? Yep. If we can get a look at them. We got, I mean, what, 6,000 cans in here? Yes. Man, these are going to be gone in about five hours. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easy. Oh, Easy. Yeah. I believe in them. Uh, how, many yeah. people, how many people drinking? I think we get about 350 to 400 people at tailgate. Okay. okay. All, right. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, we'll enjoy it. Let them know that it's 8%. No, don't, don't bother. <laughs> it says it on the fucking can, and it's, you consider that a reading test. Yeah. yeah the college kids, they should yeah. read. If you can't read, if you're in school at a major university and you can't read the fucking can, then that's on you. Yeah, right? exactly. I feel, I feel like that's accurate. Exactly. But <clears throat> uh, what, why I say they boned you on a 2.30 game like that is, damn, those night games... You can at least roll out of bed at like 11, hit the tailgate at noon, then put a good seven hours in before the game starts, everything else. Uh, this is a huge game. I, I can't believe this isn't the fucking night game. Yeah, it's crazy. That's all how you look at it, Ross. That's all how you look at it. Hey, I like to get started early, and that just means I have more time to party hard. That's true. That's, That's true. Right, and you, you get to going. bed earlier, right? Yeah, well, it depends. Yeah, we'll it, see. Depends. it depends who the lucky lady is, you know? All right, uh, all right so what's the point spread for uh, Alabama versus Texas A&M this weekend? Uh, our college football show is tomorrow. Right now it's like two and a half, three. Woo! Who do you got? Who do you got there? Oh, uh, yeah, it's two and a half still. Do you, got, do you have who? A&M Alabama got it? Bama. Mm. Okay. Oh, absolutely. You do? Absolutely. Come on. Okay. I'm going to be on that field again. Ba- I know. You, got, you guys joined the field last time. Um, I'll give a shout-out to Aiden, my, my, uh, my next-door neighbor, because he's the one that hooked me up, hooked, hooked me up with you guys. Uh, so that was the game, I think, at the last second. They were like, ah, I'm not going to go to that. Was it 52-49? to 49, You guys got a field goal? Yes, sir. It was. Yes. Yeah, I remember. God yeah, damn, it's dude. still ringing in my ear that cannon when I was right by it. I'm uh, sure. It was, it was great. It was I'm great. sure. I heard people rage up there. Uh, I'm excited for you. Uh, cheers. Enjoy the hard AF seltzer. Uh, it'll be live here in the state of Texas in the next four to six weeks. So get the, get the word out. But again, it is 8%. So do, do what you can there. Okay. <laughs> be safe. No. All right. Drink responsibly. 
Well, yeah, I, legally, do I have to say do, that. do drink responsibly, sir. Legally, I have to say yeah. that. But uh, <clears throat> God damn it, to go back, you know? Oh, Is my I wife know. here? Is my wife here yet? No? Good. Good. Thank God. <laughs> I'd love to go back, brother. I'd love to be at that party on Thursday night, you know? Love to be right next to you in the trenches. God damn it, I miss it. So does Bob. Nobody misses it more than Bob. One would imagine, right? No, neither of us would want to go back. I would want to go back. I would, no, go, I would go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> heartbeat. Where did you go to school? Little school in Michigan, Olivet College. I wrestled there at D3. And, uh, uh, did you wrestle? Yeah, I wrestled. Yeah, wrestled. All right, look and at you. We, uh, we went crazy super hard all the time. It was nuts. Okay. So, yep. The only uh, non-drinking time was uh, during wrestling season. Other than that, bonkers. All right, two things before we get out of here because uh, the phone has been melting down. Yes, uh, I saw the breaking news because we've got like 12 mm. different monitors here. Uh, I'm aware that uh, Speaker of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy has been ousted. What? We will talk about that tomorrow. Whoa. Um, that has not happened, uh, I believe, in current politics. No, over 100 uh, years since the calls easily, have been made. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I am aware of that. I saw that on a breaking news on another screen that we have mm. here in the studio. Uh, you can't see it from behind. And I know we always joke about it on the show, but there is about 12 separate small screens here um, that are kind of running different stuff. And uh, so I did catch that out of the corner of my eye. Uh, Dan and I will get into that tomorrow. I, I know nothing about it except for the breaking news. Well, the best part through. about it is that no bill can come to the house without a speaker, which means they can't fuck us any more than they already have. That's, for now that's hilarious right it's like the fire hasn't isn't spreading right now so that's good news yeah so uh <laughs> that was led by gates um yeah. and gates I, and aoc oh really an unholy alliance of two Holy people that have eyeballs shit. that are entirely too wide yeah right? that is why so your was, eyes are too open AOC, are you not okay. getting enough sunlight into your eyes right Maybe that's the problem. They're in the chamber sure. a whole lot. It's very dark in there. Yeah, it is dark enough. in there. Yeah, it's, it's, it, all the all, the hallways and all that shit's super dark in there. Her, hers are like, hers are stabby. Know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, her eyeballs to me look like my car getting keyed. That's what it looks like. That's a fascinating description. You want them looking up at you, though. I have a feeling. Um, again, my wife is not here. But uh, we will get into that tomorrow. I know that just broke in the background. And then lastly, uh, is there an update on that Rays game? How are the Rays doing 4-0, there? they're down. They're down 4-0? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, and, and it's the top of the ninth. Um, Rangers are up. And then God the Twins and Blue Jays have started. The Twins are up 3-0 in the bottom of the third. Damn it, man. We got hard AF Seltzer at the Rays Stadium. We're down in that game? Well, Marlins-Philly starts at 7 p.m. Central. That'll be a good game. All right. Uh, Lazardo versus Zach Wheeler. I mean, that's as good a matchup as it gets right there. Sure is. Sure is. Uh, thanks for tuning in, kids. Uh, uh, buy the audiobook. That's what we're doing. Buy, the buy audiobook of the Any Crips. version they want. Anybody. Buy audio, Scott I think they'll enjoy Sigler, the audiobook. And we'll see if the, drink, the Drinking Bros bump still Can't exists wait. and still Can't is wait. real here. Uh, we appreciate you stopping by. For Danthony, Danthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone. <laughs>